Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. I am the titular PhD student, the incredibly tired PhD student, Daniel Underwood, and joining me, as always, the hopefully more awake, Rodrigo Cockting. How are you? Living life, loving life. I'm very awake. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's in the morning here, and so I, I'm thriving. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I say, you know, it's, it's 4pm here. I'd like to think usually I'm awake at this point in time, but uh, this week... As I, yeah, I'm still on this teaching-based internship, and there were back-to-back undergraduate lab sessions this week from nine till four, um, and they were of varying degrees of success. And so, the ones that were less successful required considerable amount of effort to sort of push the students through. It's like, yes, science doesn't always work. It's okay. Let's get out of here, please. I want to go home. Uh, but it's done now. The, the internship is on the is on the decline. This was like the, the peak of busy. Now I can sit around and, and, and do not much. Prepare the odd PowerPoint. As this is episode 21, uh, the, the, the age-appropriate number is, is very easy this, this month. 21, mm-hmm. you can drink, gamble, buy a gun. I don't know, is that, an, is that a, an 18, a 21 or an 18-year-old thing in the US? But 21 is the coming of age age. In the in the in the United States, but uh, so old comes, too, but back right? To, what a, what a protectionist yeah, government on one end, and then at the same time, it's like you can own guns, <laughs> and and it's like so detached in other ways in terms of very odd. Yeah, that's very. Really, I mean, it's like here in in you know, it's, it's sixteen for for sex, and then eighteen for everything else. I don't know. Age limits are, are strange. Yeah, strange. It thing. just feels like if at eighteen you're kind of deciding that people are adults and capable of, you know, being tried as adults, then I don't understand why it would take them three additional years to be able to choose how they feel about a variety of narcotics. Right? It's just I don't understand the logic of it. Yeah, I mean, I can understand it for some things. Driving. I mean, yeah, okay, eighteen. That's that's a lot of years of life of life experience. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. oh, I can take away age requirements for driving. It's like oh, I've learned how to drive at ten. Perhaps, perhaps not the uh, the wisest thing. But I don't know. I'm a scientist. I I'm no politician. <laughs> I work yeah. with cells. They have no opinions. As it's a podcast, as as, as everyone says on all their podcasts, and, and what they're supposed to do, you're supposed to rate it, subscribe, share it, tell your friends. Tell your enemies, I seldom say. Um, yeah, and you can follow the show on Twitter at PhD Reads. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think we talked about it before. It's a small D in a capital R, but I don't think that matters. Uh, but on there, you can find the hashtag PhD Student Watches. And boy, have I watched a lot this month. Uh, it's been quite a good month for both films. Well, actually, yeah, I've been watching a lot of TV, but that's not, hasn't been quite related. It's been. Uh, serial murder show related but we'll talk about something that only I've seen Venom Let There Be Carnage it was bad there you go <laughs> that's all I really have to I was talking to my mother about a week or so after I'd seen it and I, I saw it the same day as I saw Halloween Kills and she was like oh I saw you went to the cinema the other week what did you see and I was like oh I saw two things Halloween Kills and, and then there was a good five minutes where I was like I can't remember 
I actually have no idea. It, it was Venom. That me carnage. <laughs> Not a memorable if experience th- then. No. Short, though. Incredibly short for a superhero film. It was like just 90 minutes. That may be the strongest argument you just made for me to watch it because it's like <laughs> exhausting at this point for these like three-hour epics that everybody wants to make. It's just like, you know, just give me an hour and a half and I'll give it a chance. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I think it similar in tone to the uh, the first Venom. So I did like that and I did like this. If you like CGI blobs fighting one another... Yeah, that also happens at the end. But speaking of those three-hour epics, the latest in the MCU has arrived at to mixed reception, I think is probably the most positive way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Eternals. I've seen Eternals. You've seen Eternals. Rodrigo, what do you think of Eternals? Hmm, where to start? I mean, I guess uh, <laughs> if I had to conclude on, on, on how I felt, I'm happy that the movie was made. I'm happy with a lot of choices mm-hmm. that were made. I'm happy that they are now mm-hmm. part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. I do agree with a lot of the criticism of it being uh, somewhat more flawed narratively in the structure than perhaps some other previous Marvel uh, cinematic universes. I disagree with the fact that it should be the lowest rated Marvel movie uh, that is out there. Um, I think it, not to to spoil, I guess what we will be discussing later, but I I revisited the Eternals, um, the Neil Gaiman Eternals uh, miniseries that he had in the early 2000s, I think. And as I was reading it, I was like, I am a person that is very knowledgeable about comic book things. Like, not that I'm the most knowledgeable comic book fan, but uh, the subject is complicated and complex. And this is, like, based off Kirby at his, like, most crazy sci-fi level (laughs) stuff, right? And so I think it was a lot to introduce to viewers and... I don't think it managed to do so as effectively as it could have been done. I think, like, for example, for someone like me, I have a higher uh, level of enjoyment of it than I would assume someone who's not familiar with the Eternals because I don't have to process, like, what a Unimind is, right? Or Mm -hmm. it's, like, Mm -hmm. I know the powers of, like, Makari and Icarus and Druig. Like, these are things that I already know. Like, I'm not processing them net new. And so that's a lot, right? And I think, like, that's kind of, like, one part of it. And then the other part of it for me was also um, the there's a certain degree of earnestness and emotional connection that these Eternals have towards the second half of the film that feels a lot more earned than when they show it in the first half. And they don't kind of grow these relationships from beginning to end like they kind of have that same level of relationship at the beginning and at the end right like uh Ajax played by by Salma Hayek is as kind and warm and motherly from the get-go as, as uh as, as she is in the end and it's kind of like in the end you can kind of see us like oh, okay I am feeling these emotions more now in the beginning um, I, I think there's like a lot more struggle as to like what the relationships with these people are, right? And I think similarly, like Makari and Druig, like at the end when they are interacting, and you can kind of sense that they still have a kinship despite them, especially Druig being more gr- morally gray, I guess, and more mm-hmm. uh, d- misaligned with some of the other people. Whereas like in the beginning, it's hard to understand where they're coming from. So I think like in that sense, like the pacing is a little bit off, and I think. Uh, 
ultimately, I think its biggest fault with me is is the the resolution of say like you know Cersei. She's the main character, but she doesn't really have a lot of agency in this movie in the sense, yeah. like, from beginning to the end, I don't think she knows what's happening. And even in the end, it's never particularly <laughs> clear, like, how she is able to, like, I guess, obviously, her powers are enhanced by Unimind, but I don't think she even understands, like, h- how she's doing this, right? Mm-hmm. And so no, I, I think, like, that's perhaps maybe where we could have uh, focused a little bit more. Um, but I think... I, I do I like I, I like I said I don't want to come across as like someone that can't see the faults for it, but I do think that like on my level I enjoyed it a lot more. I was a lot, I was very happy to see as I was reading the Eternals and I'm thinking like when Jack Kirby created these originally, uh, all of these people are white and it's like that's not the world that we live in and it's not the world yeah. that we ever lived in, right? Like I think like for a long time because media was created in a very Caucasian North America or similar place I would imagine in Europe that that was reflected, but that was never the reality. And so if the the thesis of this is like, what if humanity saw these alien creatures as gods? Well, there's no reason why they would all be white in the first place. Right. And I know. So for some people it's like, Oh, this is too woke or whatever, but I enjoyed seeing people that look different. Like I think, yeah. In that sense, like there's a lot of checkboxes that got hit by Eternals that are not getting as much credit as, like, say, the, the stuff for which they have faults, and which is fair too, because first of all, people love to like the, the downfall of anything. Like this is just true of the internet, right? So negativity will always get a lot more uh, attention than than positivity, and and I do think, like, again, it's not without its faults. I do think that a lot of the, the criticism is fair. Is fair. It's exposition heavy in the beginning because, again, the 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 topic is is adept unseen in previous marvel films like it's not just like one captain america journey right like it's mm-hmm. it's complex so i think a lot of that is fair but i do think that uh perhaps where it landed and and the perception uh, of the zeitgeist is not where i'm at with this movie yeah. like i do th- i i found a lot more to enjoy and, and love uh about it than i think most and i hope that they get a sequel who knows where that will end up landing? I think a sequel would benefit from not having to introduce a lot of these things that the first one did, right? But but we'll see. You know, like the the first Thor was not great. The second Thor was abysmal. But I think Ragnarok is perhaps the be- among the best Marvel movies that that they've made. So room to bounce back. Absolutely. Yeah, I will say this is this is no Thor: The Dark World here. I would mm-hmm. say this is in the middle of the pack. If I was to put all the MC films, it's somewhere. In the middle. Warning for spoilers, you were very uh, umbrella with your criticism, whereas I have some, some, <laughs> some criticisms that are very much plot-based. And so, we'll get into it now. So, there are ten of them, and that, I think, is the biggest mistake. Why are there ten of them? Because there mm-hmm. are ten of them, and I feel like I knew none of them. Because, especially someone like Ajak, who is in it for about five minutes... And she is killed at the start. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cersei is there crying. And I'm like, what? Okay, I understand. You've known her for 7,000 years. This is the first right. scene with you in it. Yeah. You mean nothing to me. And even by the end, she still hasn't been in it enough that I felt justified the amount of upset that it caused at the beginning. If mm-hmm. there was five of them, or even less, three of them perhaps... Getting to know them better might have served. So you can you can introduce the other five to five to seven in a sequel, 
and then you won't have mm-hmm. to, you know, then you can spend a lot of time introducing all this eternal stuff and have a lot of focus on characters. And I feel like, so I was looking forward to Makari the most as a, I was going to say fan, but that might be a lie. As a watcher of The Walking Dead, Lauren Ridloff is in that. And she's great in that. And I was like, great, she'll be great in this too. And she doesn't show up for so long. And even when she does, she then is tasked with something and leaves for another good ten minutes before coming back. And so the plot happens just around her. She's just there. Mm. And all this big developments with Icarus and such, she's gone for that. And then she comes back and is like, oh, oh, what, what's happened here? Oh, let me tell you yeah. about what happened to Icarus and how he is now bad. So that was, yeah, a bit of a problem. The other problem came... So about halfway through, they realise that Arashem has been playing everyone and... Well, you don't realise, Arashem just tells tells Cersei. She's like, I made you, and I made the Deviants. Ah, oh, oops. They got a bit out of hand, so you just have to go and kill them now. It's fine. So, what I was maybe hoping for was that by the end, when the, the, the head Deviant, the one that sort of absorbed everybody's powers, comes along, I was like, oh, now's the time for them to put aside their differences and stop... Icarus and the destruction of the Earth. Ah, oh, no, but then it's okay because Angelina Jolie cut cut it cut it in half, and and that was the end of that. Okay, fine. I guess for Angelina Jolie's character Athena, she got what she mm-hmm. needed, but perhaps it would have been more interesting if she had to put aside her her anger of the death of Gilgamesh and the fact that she'd been this trained warrior for millennia designed to kill mm. these these creatures to have them work together but no that that was that didn't happen either but like i said i don't want to just rag on it it's one of the most beautifully shot mcu films it shouldn't be a surprise uh there's yeah. a lot of lovely landscape shots which are nice to look at and, and i did uh, think the lighting oh yeah absolutely and some of the sets that they're in even if they are clearly not real are uh, nice to look at and i thought the fight mm-hmm. scene at the end where they all well, all of the Eternals that are in it, when they were using that Fastos, using these like gun gauntlet things that he made that then turned out mm-hmm. to be like a net trap. That was good to look at. But I agree with Cersei's powers. Yeah. She turns a, a deviant into a tree, and then it's like, how'd you do that? Yeah. Don't know. Okay. Oh, oh now I've turned this uh, Eternal in, into into marble. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of agree with with a lot of that. I do think um, it's complicated because I don't think that there is a version of this movie that would not have faced the same obstacles, but that is not to say that there wouldn't be a version of this movie that perhaps would have dealt it Mm -hmm. with it a little bit better. Uh, I also uh, don't think that Richard Madden and uh, and... Uh, Gemma Chan had a lot of chemistry no. with each other. Sometimes it sounded like they'd never busy. actually spoken before. Yeah, and I do think they're both good in their roles when their plot doesn't depend on their interaction with the other one. But when, like, I think with each other, it wasn't specifically, you know, like showing any sparks mm-hmm. there. Um, but I don't know, like, for example, there the, to, to highlight some of the other things that really worked for me, I think, like, 
Kamal Nanjiani as Kingo was hilarious, yes, and his valet, absolutely. whose name is escaping me right now, Starts was uh, I think perhaps the best character uh, in in the movie. Right, uh, I think the the potential of where we go next from this is interesting to me. Like the fact that they brought Star Fox in is bewildering and confusing, but exciting. Like I don't know how familiar you are with his character from the comic books, other than but his powers Thanos's are brother. That, that, that's as far as it goes which is, which is accurate too but his powers i guess involve i mean i i, I don't it's arrows is is a hint i guess too you know like it's like people fall in love with them they 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 have this attraction to him and so and there was like this she hulk run i want to say like early 2000s as well too by dan slot where basically a bunch of women bring him to try like you know he's on trial uh, because of like implying kind of like sexual assault mm-hmm. of it of his powers, and She Hulk is defending him until at some point she finds out that he used his powers to make her defend him, and so he's a complex hero. It's kind of like what door are we opening here into the MCU? But at the same time, like I think it's interesting. I I I I wonder where they're going with it. I guess it's just like you know they're gonna have to be careful with that that one. I mean, I know Harry Styles is a bit... Oh, sorry, I guess spoiler alert if you have not seen the ending of this movie, but you've been spoiled by everything yeah. else. Harry Styles shows up at the end as this character, Arrow Star Fox, with uh, Pip the Troll, who's voiced by uh, Pat Oswald. And um, I think it's funny because, like, on the one hand, it's very obviously, like, stunt casting. Like, it's a big name. But at the same time, I do think that Harry Styles is kind of that personification of who that character would be you yeah, know i would imagine sense. uh that that his one direction fandom is very popular with the people all around him of that age group uh, you know regardless of 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 gender and perhaps even sexual orientation for some you know like i think he does have that charmingness to him so i i, I think that's curious and then more so than than the other end scene being uh dane whitman played by uh, kit harrington yeah. Uh, he's he's about to grab the sword, and then you can hear uh, Blade speaking to him, Maharshala Ali, telling him to make sure, like, are you sure that you want to do that? And I think more so than Dane Whitman uh, grabbing the the sword, which I think excites a lot of people who were fans of the Avengers of a particular era, because you know, like Black Knight. Uh, Cersei, like the, these kind of uh, they were Avengers in a certain mm-hmm. time. That's like, if that's your 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 run of Avengers that you're attached to, cool. But I think just Maharshala Ali is so great in everything. And so the idea that he's officially kind of joining uh, the Marvel Universe was more exciting than Dane Whitman getting powered up to me. I do wonder, like, do you think that it was just the voice because they don't know what he's going to look like yet? Like, it's yeah, too early so, yeah. in the... Although, to be fair, they're like, we know it's going to be him. isn't the most complex. Sunglasses, big coat some sort of art, general but do you armor? go like bald did oh. you give him a little hair maybe me like because i feel like they had some of that with captain marvel where they had she had to film like her stuff for avengers before she ended up having to film her stuff for captain marvel so then like every time she's shown up she's shown up with a different look and it's like it's just a thing that she has now um so i, I wonder perhaps they're like you know what like let's not do this again we're not gonna like just his voice is fine that's enough of a tease you don't have to show him and then we're gonna have to rewrite him it did make me wonder what was Dane Whitman in it just for that? Because his role in the film is so minimal. He's in it at the start, and he's like, "What's an eternal?" Insert plot exposition so we can tell somebody, and then he, he's gone. Then he shows up. I guess there's fairly good phone service in the Amazon because they allow they can do a video call, and uh, he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, "Oh, I'll talk to you later." And then he shows up at the end. And then he, and then there's the post credit yeah. scene. Yeah, 
I think he that is exactly what he was there for. Like it's just kind of like they they have it plotted out as like for example like the Young Avengers. They know, uh, you know, like say Tommy and Billy from WandaVision. Like they know that that's going to be a piece in the future. So they're just like, you need to introduce Dane Whitman. That's it. Like you don't need to have a whole movie about him, but we just need. And the problem is that like these characters now are so big that you end up casting very popular actors that are like if say this wasn't Kit Harrington and it was just like. Joe Black, you know, like Joe Joe Schmo, like somebody you didn't know, like That's it wouldn't true. matter, and it would be like, oh, cool, like I didn't expect him that he was going to be more important than just being like some like a, a representation of these gods having human lives, and him just being like kind of one of the. But because it is Kid Harrington, it's like the expectation going in is like, oh, I expect him that he's going to do a lot, and it's just kind of like he is going to do a lot at some point. It's just not in this movie. I mean, that's fair. I guess we'll see. It does say Eternals will return, so. They're going to show up at, right. at some but point. But that never means, like, Eternals will have a sequel, no, right? True. It could always be just, like, in the next uh, Avengers ending type of movie, they'll show up and, and do a thing. Like, I know even uh, Ajak uh, Samhayek, she's confirmed that she's signed on for multiple films, right? And it's, like, the, the thing with uh, with the, the Eternals, that as long as their kind of machinery and their homeworld is working, then they never truly die. Well, that reminds me of another bit I didn't like. When Cersei becomes the Prime Eternal or whatever, and she gets taken off to see mm-hmm. Arashem, there's a good ten minutes of him just talking. It's like I'm going to tell you now. This is that is the most obvious bit of plot exposition I think I've ever observed in quite a while. It's just like right, sit down. I mean, you are a more robot. obvious than than that. We, I made you more obvious than. <laughs> more obvious than the text that shows up at the very beginning that it's just <laughs> pure like, exposition. Yes. That's also a first for Marvel. Right? I was like, oh. I, it's like, I, it, it's it's a, a level of complexity. I mean, Kirby, again, Jack Kirby did some stuff with the Eternals that I think is unrivaled by the rest of the Marvel Universe. And I think that's kind of reflected in this movie where it's like, I don't even know where to start with like, Arashem and the Eternals and the Deviants and you know the multiple hosts and the hordes and like it's like so many the Unimines it's it's a lot I I I think I was excited for this movie to come out because I love the like I love Neil Gaiman's Eternals um but I think perhaps if I had thought about it a bit more I was like yeah this is like some complexity that I don't know how they're gonna deal with I guess the answer was like not particularly well so I've seen a lot of people on 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 the internet, saying it might have worked better as a Disney Plus show, and it's like, hmm, maybe. I haven't been the biggest fan of those Disney Plus shows, but having maybe 10 hours or so, because a lot of the film is just mm-hmm. uh, Icarus and Sprite and Cersei going off, oh, we must find X member of, of, of the Eternals. Hello. Oh, now we need to go yeah. and see the next one. Oh, fly around the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, good thing we've met Kingo as a private yeah. jet. <laughs> makes it nice and easy to get around so maybe, uh, maybe I don't know, 10 hours or so maybe one episode focused on one and then at the end mm-hmm. we'll see that that is an alternate reality that we we do not live in i will ask though who do you think was right yeah. at the end because i went to see it with a friend and i was like mm, to be honest i think i agree with icarus and kingo the eternals the the celestials do a lot more than planet earth does I I think in a way that both are right. So I think like overall, sure, yeah, that I think uh, Icarus is right. But at the same time, like every 
planet should fight for their existence, right? So it's like, I, I think, you know, Cersei was attached to humanity and they, she wanted to give them the right to fight for their existence and not just be chosen to be a sacrificial lamb, right? Like, uh, I, 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 the, the Celestials are godlike creatures in the universe and there are ways for them to be able to achieve their mission without, you, you know, at the end of the day, they're just going to go to a different planet, right? But at the same time, I would expect that planet to also fight for their existence. So I, I think not not to be, you know, like wishy-washy, <laughs> but I, like overall, obviously Icarus is right, but for sure, like we, humanity, we have to fight for our, ch- even though we know that like you can try to rationalize that, yeah, like you dying will save so many more people. It's like, okay, cool, but I still want to live, right? Like, and I have that right to want to live. And so, so I think like if I was an Eternal, I probably would have sided with, with Cersei and, and the people that were like, you know, there has to be another way. Like we have to try, we have to try every possible avenue until like we have to exhaust every possible avenue until we find a solution, because we can't just give up and give in and say like, okay, cool, you can kill well, us. At least now there's a big stone, stone celestial head in the middle of the sea that people can make that the yeah the tourist boards of the world can make a lot of money out of. It's a big tourist <laughs> attraction. But uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see to see where it goes and uh, what happens. And speaking of the word what. You have finished What If? What did you think? Because I remember, I thought it was middling. This whole phase four, I would say, has been middling. Yeah, I, I actually enjoyed it a lot more by the end. I think, like, I had told you without even seeing a, for, in a single episode that it felt like they were going to do, like, an mm-hmm. Avengers-type thing. And so when they did it, I was like, cool. <laughs> I can kind of see that coming, but I can understand that. But I think, like, uh, I got into it. You know, it's like... It's kind of, for me specifically, in the sense, like, I, I don't think that if you are, like, the casual person that just watches a movie, there's as much to enjoy here as if you're, like, oh, cool, I kind of remember what story that's referencing, or I, too, had already been pondering those questions of, like, you know, what if this, or it's, like, you know, that the, the episode that I really enjoyed was, like, the one where Hank Pym went around and killed <laughs> yeah. all the Avengers, because in the comic books, Hank Pym yep, is kind of an asshole. And I don't know that that's translated in the in the movies, right? So it's like, I don't know that the, the, I feel like there's a level of enjoyment of Hank Pym being the villain that I get as a comic book, book reader that I think other people wouldn't necessarily get from just watching the movies. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's fan servicey in a way that is perhaps like alienated, uh, alienating of a more mainstream crowd. But it's fan service and first servicey and I am said fan, so it's like servicing <laughs> me specifically. So by the end of it, I was like a lot more on board than than the beginning. I do think that it's like it's the the amount of time that you are on each possibility is like a, a confusing length because it's like a little bit more than necessary, but not enough for you. You know, it's like you suddenly you're starting to get into it and then you're gone again. So I guess it was kind of nice to, to see that at the end. I think there was like some episodes that were a lot more interesting premises than others. Uh, like even the idea of like the Marvel zombies, zombie one of like Vision and Wanda still being these monsters that they kind of prove to be every single time. Like even in WandaVision, like, you know, it, it's beautiful and, and grief is a complex thing. But at the end of the day, like Wanda does a lot of questionable things in WandaVision 
vision. And so to see it like reversed in, in the zombie ones where like vision is doing these questionable things now for Wanda, it's like, you know, they kind of prove to be these complex characters that they are in the comic books that perhaps are not necessarily seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? You know, it's like House of M was no small thing. Like this woman just decided because she was angry that her brother died and was angry at her dad that she was going to decimate an entire species uh, of beings from the planet. And so I think like in that sense, I started enjoying it more. I think, for example, like the episode on Thor, like Party Thor or whatever that, that I was like, is this like your best premise? Because even if like in the end you needed a Thor, is there not more interesting ways to bring that up? Maybe their hands are a little bit tied because probably the coolest premise would be like, you know, what if uh, Jane was Thor? And that's not like something that they need to tackle. And what if because that's happening in, in the next Thor movie, yep. presumably, apparently. So I think like some of those, uh, like I don't know if those were the more interesting premises. But at the same time, that's kind of the cool part of what if like going entirely crazy, right? And just doing like something that nobody would expect. So yeah, I guess like a little bit uneven, but definitely I warmed up to it a lot more by its conclusion than by the nice. beginning. Good news for you, because Disney Plus Day, because of the uh, mm-hmm. continued corporalization of the of our daily lives, that was yesterday, I think, or two days ago. Season two mm-hmm. of What If and a whole new slew of animated Marvel shows. I guess they were like, oh, we, we can make these on the cheap, relatively on, on the cheap. So like, yeah. well, that's it. <laughs> Pumping them all out. Some of them, uh, whilst before we move on to things that aren't MCU related, some of them I don't understand. They're making a Agatha Harkness show. Is that like, OK? Um, she was in one. She was in one division. I didn't think she was that good to deserve a whole show to herself. But I think people loved her, though. Like, I'm not particularly surprised by that one. Like, I, I people absolutely loved Agatha Harkness. I think what makes me think is that when you think back to phase one, phase two, at least in my head, you imagine this massive whiteboard with with like little post-it notes and Kevin Feige there going, oh, well, we made, we made Iron Man 2 now. Let me draw a line to Thunderbolt Ross because he was in the post credit scene or whatever. That was thought, oh, mm. it doesn't matter. The point is the same. You know, it felt so well planned out. And now it's like, well, oh, Agatha Harkness was popular. Let's make a show about her, which just makes you think, oh, well, it can't be that important then if you've sort of come up with it now, like on the fly, so to speak. Maybe I'm wrong and it was, it was yeah. planned, you know, long before and... Well, that I mean, yeah, like who who knows when all this started? I, mean, I I think it's kind of getting the like regular comic books, where it's like I read Daredevil, I read X Men, I don't read Avengers, and I think like sometimes they intersect, mm-hmm. but for the most part, they're in their silos exploring adventures, and so I I'm less concerned whether like say Agatha Harkness will be a fundamental piece of Phase Four, and more concerned about like will Agatha Harkness be fun? That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I'm more interested in the other ones. So, I mean, there's been more information on those She-Hulk and Moon Knight and Miss Marvel and Echo shows. And there'll be much... I'm, yeah. I mean, maybe it's unfair that I'm putting those in a totally different boat just because they're characters I like more. But, well, I'm more looking forward to those. And, well, yeah, that same. is this month. Oh, next month. Well, this month, November, that Hawkeye show starts. So, there you go. That's another... The MCU keeps on going. Although, that's based off the Matt Fraction run, so... I liked that. I'm sure I'll like this. Maybe it's finally time to get the MCU Hawkeye that's actually a Hawkeye that we want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like the Hawkeye that we want is the <laughs> other one, though. <laughs> or at least for me. I'm very excited about Kate Bishop's introduction. 
I think the the most uh, of all the stuff that they've been promoting for this new Hawkeye show, I'm very happy to see that like the mm-hmm. the Europeans and the tracksuits are in this latest uh, teaser one. I was like wondering if they would be there, and uh, lo see, and behold, King, they see, are. Kingpin is a very big part of that of that run in in the, in the comic. So maybe it's, this is it. If Charlie Cox is in Spider Man, we can put um, what's his name Wilson Fisk. I think though Vincent D'Onofrio is uh early has confirmed like I mean confirmed in this. I guess Charlie Cox is now officially confirmed in the way that they leaked an image of him in it. But uh, Vincent D'Onofrio had been liking people tweeting about him being in uh, Hawkeye like months ago. And I think that's just kind of like, you know, people that are fun, but not in a tat. Like they're not like Chris Evans. So I don't think they had like that major sit down with Kevin Feige about like how secret these things are. So they're, they're kind of like, Oh cool. Yeah. I'm in it. And I enjoyed it. So let me like this tweet. Cause he had been liking, like he had went on like some Twitter, Twitter spree of liking tweets of him uh, talking about him being in, uh, in Hawkeye. So I think he is actually coming. He's going to be a big part of it. Exciting. Cause he was a great kingpin. And there you go. That is MCU roundup. I feel like I should make some sort of jingle to to put there because it's MCU roundup every month. It doesn't end and it never will. Uh, but tangentially related to the MCU because Oscar Isaac is 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 joining it as as Moon Knight, Mark Spector. June, I saw that and I've decided because this is my show that because there's a graphic novel print of of June, it's okay to talk about it here too. I loved it. I my biggest problem was that it just ended. I did in the trailers. I guess maybe I should have read more. I don't know. It wasn't a, clear to me that this was part one. It's called June in the trailers, but as soon as the film starts, it's like, no, nah, this is June part one. So, <laughs> which luckily now they've said they they were going to make a second. So that's that's a good thing. But I thought it was great. What did you think? You saw it at the Toronto Film Festival, right? Did you not? I did. Yeah, it was. Uh... It was one of the the movies that premiered at Toronto International Film Festival. The director Denis Villeneuve is a is Canadian. He is from uh, the neighboring province of Quebec, and so you know it, it, he was uh, on on board for premiering his movie, North American premiere, I think, or one of those here. Uh, so I did get the chance to see it early. It's been a while now since I've seen it, but I did very much enjoy it. Uh, I it was like mm-hmm. a huge movie. Uh, before that, I did do my best to read as much as Dune as I could. Um, I didn't manage to finish the book in time, but I had read more than what I ended up seeing. So uh, I know a lot of people have been complaining about Zendaya barely being in this, but I kind of knew that she's not really in the first half of the book, right? So I don't know if she's going to be a lot in it, or except beyond kind of like just dreams. Um, the cast is great. You know, Oscar Isaac, spoiler oh, yeah, alert, I guess, yeah. if you haven't seen the movie or read the book. But uh, I was very devastated by the by the fact that, you know, we end up presumably losing uh, a wide variety of characters that were that barely had a moment. Um, it's really cool universal like universe building that involves kind of like sci-fi and like you know intergalactic traveling and and some of the the more basic mundane stuff like it feels very star wars in a way like it's like starting something new in that sense so i'm into it i haven't i finished the first book but that's about it i haven't read more i don't know how much more they plan on doing for for this franchise but at the very least uh, if part two can match the tone and and the scope of part one i think we're in for a good another beautiful film like all of uh, all of his films arrival blade runner 2049 
it's as if those spaceships are real. If someone hadn't told me, I mean, if I was a child, perhaps, and someone and I didn't know that CGI was a thing, and someone had told me that they were actually flying around in in dragonfly-like spaceships, they look so real. I could have believed that that was actually happening. Mm-hmm. But I would quite like one of those. Uh, what are they called? Dragonfly yeah. helicopter things. That would make getting to work a lot easier. Ornithopter, I think they are. Yes, that's right. Well, there you go. P- hashtag PhD student watches is over now. So if you if you listen to this for comic book based conversation, I promise you, after thirty five minutes, we're getting to it now. I was first last month, so you're up first this month. You've already told us what it is. Tell us more about Eternals. Yeah, no worries. I will keep it uh, relatively short. I'd be cognizant of how much time we spent chatting about movies, which is always <laughs> fun. Um, yeah, I read Eternals. I read the the Neil Gaiman written uh, Eternals mini from, I want to say, 2000-ish, 2005, I think, perhaps. No, 2006. Uh, Neil Gaiman writer, uh, art pencils by John Romita Jr. Now, I don't know how you feel about John Romita Jr. I often find him to be a little bit scratchy for my taste. Like, I, I think miss, I, I'm I think more a big fan of, like, some very clean lines that you can almost... It almost looks, like, closer to a photograph than a drawing. Like, John mm-hmm. Romita's kind of on the other spectrum where it's, like, you can tell. It's it's drawn very beautifully, but you can tell it's a drawing, right? Yeah. I think his, uh, his colors here really pop. It's Matt Hollingsworth, who's not an unfamiliar name to us. Inks mm-hmm. by Danny Mickey and Tom Palmer and lettering by by Todd Klein. Uh, now, if you haven't read this book, it starts off with Mark Curry, who is just a, a, a medical student, I guess. Like he he says he's not a doctor, but he does work in a hospital. So right. I'm not sure what the process for that is. Uh, I guess maybe if there's a listener that happens to be. Uh, a medical doctor out there, he can clarify. But anyways, he's, he's there, he's dreaming uh, of his past. He dreams of like celestials and this blonde man that's flying through and saving him from these kind of monstrous looking things. And he wakes up back to his regular life and he encounters that same man, mind you, dressed up in civvies, who introduces himself as Ike Harris. And he is Mark Curry, by the way, the the, the man that we were introduced and so quickly, uh, Ike Harris tells him that his name is actually Icarus. No way. In it. Yes. And actually, you know, this, uh, to, to be fair to Neil Gaiman, Ike Harris is the, the pseudonym that Icarus had back in his golden age days where, you know, like, it, so it's just a, a fun throwback. Uh, Mark Curry Macari is the other Eternal that we get introduced to. Obviously, he's a doctor. And then he sees Icarus fly away. So he's starting to wonder, is, is he crazy? Like, what's the reality that's happening? Uh, we then get introduced to some other characters. Cersei is kind of like a, a, a circuit party girl who wants to start a party planning business. She gets her first gig. It is uh, an embassy of some undisclosed Eastern European type country uh, that wants to host a party and wants her to organize it. Athena is uh, uh, a weapons kind of engineer for, for the Stark company. And so all these pieces start coming together in this 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 party that Cersei is hosting because Druig is the ambassador, I guess, that, that represents that country in the US. And he want he's suddenly in, in this close approximation, we have uh, Cersei uh, Macari, who is uh, Cersei's guest, because they they encounter each other, and she finds him to be particularly, I guess, good looking, and invites <laughs> him to the party. You have Druig, you have Thena, who is a guest uh, of Iron Man, and they are attacked by uh, a deviants who are there, who have just recently captured Icarus, who was uh, waiting alone and, and got captured by these deviants, and they are trying to torture him. They are trying to kill him. We don't understand why. 
But the main takeaway that during this events they they may, they succeed in in killing Icarus, and then the four of the other Eternals being in proximity, even though they don't know exactly who they are, they manage to form some variation of a unimind. And eventually, uh, Makari, Mark Curry, he remembers as he he is trying to figure out what is happening that at one point, Icarus uh, mentioned that this kid on TV that was like a child actor is actually one of them too. And so he goes and he visits Sprite, who then listens to him and tells him it's like, oh yeah, like he's not at all surprised. You can tell that he's understanding of what's happening. And he, but he says that he is not an eternal. He's just a regular boy. He, they, they, they kind of go together to these places that are of importance of eternals. And, you know, Sprite tells him like, if you touch that rock, if you're an eternal, something special will happen. And he touches it. And the, all of a sudden he starts going down underground and he wonders like, how would Sprite know that? Like, is he an eternal? And again, Sprite highlights that he is not an eternal. He's just a regular boy. Uh, at the same time, Icarus is reviving on their home planet because that's just a thing that Eternals do. Like they die as long as the machinery is in place and they're, they're, they're able to come back. Thus the name Eternals. You know, obviously they're not immortals. They're just Eternals because they're always around. They keep on coming back. And so uh, as Sprite and Icarus, sorry, as Sprite and Makari keep on exploring the, the underground area that they're in, Sprite tricks Makari into hitting something that ends up being a Celestial. Now, the Eternals are not allowed to attack the Celestials. In fact, the Celestials created them to, and, and they kind of uh, are their masters in a way, right? And so, as Makari is currently trapped by the Celestial, unable to move after having attacked it, he starts explaining, Sprite starts explaining that he's the one that's responsible for all the Eternals, not remembering who they are. Um, he was tired of being an 11 year old for years and years and years and years and he was bored of seeing the other people live this life you know in this one the the recurring love interest is between Cersei and Makari not between Cersei and Icarus you know but uh he he explains that he manages to bring back Zuras who is the leader of the Eternals and Ajax who is an Eternal that is able to speak to Celestials which are kind of combined into one <laughs> character in the movie but are in fact two in, in the comic books, uh, they form a unimind near the Celestial and then using the power, the cosmic energy of the Celestial, um, Sprite, who is able to kind of create illusions, is able to rewrite reality. And he the reality that he rewrites is kind of makes the Eternals forget who they are. And so, and, and for himself, he manages to make himself a real boy. He is, in, in the comic books, Sprite is a boy generally i think that you know him being a girl is a new interpretation for the movies i think it has been carried forward in the latest iteration of right. the comic books but at this point he's still a boy um and so it's sprite is kind of the one that is behind the the nefarious plot of like why the eternals don't remember who they are in this at the same time ajak finally appears uh in the second half of this book he finds zuras who's uh uh I don't know if pretending to be, or I guess it's kind of the path that he has taken since Sprite rewrote everything, but he is a, a person that a homeless person on the street that's kind of just uh, shouting craziness to people as they walk by, not realizing that some of what he's saying is relevant is, is a response to, to the attack from Sprite. And so Ajak reveals that the, the, that, 
I guess there's been a bigger plan in place all this time to deal with the dreaming celestial that is under the earth. And as part of that plan, he has been kind of distracting some of the other Eternals. Uh, he's the one that paid the Deviants to kidnap and kill Icarus. Um, that led to Icarus kind of at, through his death and rebirth, fully remembering who he is. And so that has complicated the, pla the plans to deal with the Celestials because they don't, they're not dealing with the same amount of information that Ajax, as the person that communicates with the Celestials, and Zuras is. And so Zuras and Ajax finally connect and they try to figure out, like, we need more Eternals to be able to form a Unimind. They go to Druig, who apparently has a certain degree of knowledge of who he was and just was kind of uh, taking advantage of there was no other Eternals in place to be able to stop him from, you know, being kind of a, a despot or tyrannical representative of this kind of like Eastern European country. And so he says that he will help Duras and Ajax if they allow him to continue doing whatever he wants to do without getting involved. And they agree to that deal. At the same time, uh, Deviants capture Sprite, and they're looking for payment for their capture of mm -hmm. Icarus. So everything is kind of all coming together. Sprite was not lying when he said that he is not an Eternal because at this point he has no powers to help himself. And so what we do find out is that uh, there is a lot more complexity to the Deviants than we had expected from before. They call themselves the Changing People. They were uh, originally created by the Celestials and then, you know, given the ability to to multiply and be a successful species on the planet and then when the celestials come back they start just kind of feasting and devouring on the deviants like they i think they call it they were the food of the gods they scooped us up like so much caviar and they feasted and you just see these images of these celestials just like <laughs> pounding back all these deviants and then the only person that really uh opposed them was God, I, I always forget which one it is. It's the yellow one. I forgot his name. And it's the Dreaming Celestial that is under Earth. He gets imprisoned and, and I guess, basically uh, banned from the Celestials and left on planet Earth. And this, the, the Deviants kind of worship this person. Uh, they Their purpose is they want to awaken the Celestial. At the same time, the Eternals are trying to figure out how to keep the Celestial asleep or, or stop it because they, they, do, they do not want to see the Earth destroyed. Icarus and Athena and Circe have some degree of knowledge at this point. They all kind of gather at the, the, the Dreaming Celestial who is starting to wake up and they're trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. Uh, Makari, who's still kind of being processed from, from having hit the Celestial and, and still going through a whole thing, is able to connect with the Celestial in his mind and understand what's happening. The resolution is kind of similar to the Eternals movie in that the Celestial decides that he will pause his judgment until he is able to get gather enough information. And so it kind of that's kind of where the, the book ends. Like the Eternals are once again awake. Icarus and Makari are kind of given the mission to find the rest of the Eternals that, that kind of were uh, put to sleep by Sprite. Uh, Druig is given his, I guess, uh, you know, kind of like a Doctor Doom Latvia situation or Latveria situation where he's kind of the owner. Uh, uh, something and Cersei is kind of awakening again as a superhero and that's kind of where Neil Gaiman leaves them off it's a reintroduction into the main Marvel universe they had been a disappearing piece for a while I think that the by far the best ending part of this though is Azuras 
finding Sprite on a train, you know, before he, he approaches him, there's a, somebody that's asking, hey, aren't you that famous actor? And he's like, no, I just looked at him. I wish I had his money, blah, blah, blah. I'm just this kid on a train. They sit together and they talk about it. And, you know, Sprite is just kind of saying like, hey, you know, I'm I'm not going to run away. I, I'm I, I'm a human now, but you can't control me. And then Zeros is like, that's okay. I'm not going to try to control you. And he kind of says, Zuras tells Sprite, like, you know, you, you nearly destroyed the Eternals, right? Like, if they hadn't, if it hadn't been just kind of coincidence that Icarus woke up in time and started this whole thing, the Celeste, nobody would have been there to stop the Celestials. This world would have been an end. And, you know, the Sprite's kind of almost proud of him. And he's saying, like, hey, just so you know, I'm not going back. And then Zuras is like, I know, you're not going back, Sprite. And then he's like, oh, like, he kind of realizes, like, what's happening and the consequence of his action. And he says at one point, he's like, I'm just a kid. And then Zuras kind of pointedly so says, like, you haven't been a kid in, like, a million years. And then it ends with kind of, like, almost a hug between Sprite and Zuras. And then all you hear is crack. And then Zuras uh, leaves the dead body of Sprite the boy just, like, on the train. And that's where that ends. But again, like Eternals being Eternals, I'm sure that the Sprite has come back since. But it's a very cool ending. It, it brings them back into the main Marvel Universe. The Dreaming the Celestial standing over San Francisco keeping watch on humanity was a big plot point for a while. Like the X-Men interacted with them and so on. But that's kind of uh, what I read. It, it was... I want to read the other miniseries for the Eternals to get caught up. I've been reading like the new Kieran Gillen one. It has a lot to do with, again, another betrayal of the Eternals, which is kind of, I guess, like if you've been around for so long, you're so <laughs> bored with each other that you have to figure out your Very own true. sinister plans, right? So I'm very interested and curious and to checking those out. I think this one is great. I do think like John Romita Jr. is not my specific cup of tea, but I do think that in this particular mini, his art like really shines. The coloring is great. I, I really recommend this book. I do think that it's almost like the movie did a good job of setting the the base level knowledge that you need to read this book and be able to fully understand it. Conversely, if you read this book, leaf, you read this book first, you would get a, a base level knowledge to better understand the movie. But it's like almost like neither of them on their own are enough to fully understand the weirdness of Jack Kirby. So it's like whichever you choose to do first, whether it's the movie, I would say then read the book, or if it's the book, then watch the movie. Yeah, plot wise, it seems pretty similar. Oh, I will say I thought it in the film because she asked. She's like, "Why? Why would Arashem make me a, a child all the time?" And then I think she's talking to Fastos. He's like, "Don't know." He's like, "Yeah, why would a god do that?" <laughs> because I don't think like the the gods care about that part. You know, as I mean, they create their things and then they don't care. They 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 they're they're not beyond with they're not preoccupied with the complexities of that and that's kind of i guess like the bigger eternals question right like the what happens when like gods walk among men because for much of the marvel the marvel comic book universe it's more so about people gaining the abilities to do things that mm -hmm. are somewhat godlike whereas in like dc like superman martian manhunter wonder woman like these are these are concepts of like gods walking among men and so i think like the eternals is like the rare time where the vantage point turns and uh yeah it, it's definitely an interesting concept it's complex it's again like jack kirby at his wildest i think and especially specifically to his wildest at marvel because it's similar i guess to like the the new god stuff or like some other stuff that that have been created i think it's kind of like a product of the time like i know during this time there was like a lot of sci-fi uh happening there's that whole book chariot of the gods that kind of you know like what wondered what would have happened if, if like 
ancient civilizations would have been visited by you know these kind of like out of this world beings so i think that's a similar similar thing that he wanted to explore um i think sometimes the complexity escapes it's almost like before and and maybe let's go back to the marvel cinematic universe to better exemplify this it's like when it was fewer characters and they were all of a similar power the pieces of the puzzle fit in a lot cleaner and a lot nicer whereas like now as you grow and like it's kind of like the eternals have to address this in the movie it's like why didn't you stop thanos if you're this powerful right if you can stop a celestial why not stop the other one and similarly in the comic book like i think that's also the issue that sometimes why they get just like parked for a while and they have to be re-brought it re-brought back in a meaning because it's like what is their place in this and i don't know that that's always entirely clear in in the comic book series so it's like for example in the latest one kieran gillen he's kind of exploring almost like a murder mystery among them but there's not a question of like okay well do we have to deal with the celestials or like should we help out humanity because their place is kind of in a gray area like it's not it's not easy to fit them into where they where they are now and so i don't like what comes of it like in the comic book the inhumans there's kind of like a through line from like the celestials to the eternals and the deviants Mm -hmm. to then the inhumans in a certain way there is also to like mutants so it's like i think maybe that's why they were a key piece to bring into the marvel cinematic universe but um as a standalone issue it's perfectly fine and enjoyable and it's like if you don't overthink like okay well what does this mean for like captain america or blah blah blah, then i think you're gonna enjoy it a lot more well i didn't think of that maybe they maybe they uh they changed the x-men origin to be more like the inhumans now that they've put the eternals in I'm guessing that there must be a reason for them to want to have to introduce this very, very complex uh, characters into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know what that is yet, but we'll wait and see. Kevin Feige does, I'm sure, somewhere. Wherever mm-hmm. he is in California, I imagine, is where is where yeah. he lives. Now... He is the Dreaming Celestial. <laughs> he is, what was it, Tiamat? Is that what it was called? Arashem was the big red one. Tiamat, yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's, I think that is correct. I think his name is Tiamat, yeah. Yeah, so there was the green one, and I think there was a blue one as well. Yes. They all stand around in space. The green one was the one that held it, mm-hmm. held the, 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 like the Milky Way style galaxy in his hands. And I was like, you're mm-hmm. my favorite, <laughs> just for that. <laughs> he had like wings, like wing bits. Arashem, he just read, that, that was his thing. And he could speak. Yeah. Well, I imagine the other ones can speak as well, but that was his thing in the film. Well, I think it, it, I, they probably can all speak. It's just that they can't speak to anyone. The, the, I mean, really, it's Ajax who has the... That's their power um, that I guess they then gifted to Cersei. That was another thing uh, just reminds me of now in the film. When Fastos is like, oh, I need to take this ball from you. And it's like, okay. And then he just does it. And it's like, oh, so it didn't even hurt. He's like, oh, watch it. I need to take this ball from you. Whoop. Oh, got, yep, got it now. I mean, rejig it. It was long enough. I feel adding in yeah. more. Oh, a scene of her screaming in pain would have only increased the length of the film. Yeah, for sure. But some things do come to an end, and what has come to an end is Sex Criminals. Volumes 5 and 6 are the final two, and that is what I am talking about today. But before we do, because I've been very busy this month, and Rodrigo, you are often very busy. I just wanted to ask, how do you manage fitting in all of your hobbies into your life? Because I won't lie, I read these two this week. That was, I read them uh, two days ago was where I actually just sat down and had enough time to read. And these Sex Criminals volumes, if you don't know them, are pretty short. 
So what what do you How? do? I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a very like organized person in the sense that I have to schedule my time for even things like playing video mm-hmm. games or like reading a book. Like I have to schedule it into my day or it will just not happen. But that being said, I actually don't end up fitting as much of the hobbies as I want to. Like I kind of made peace with that. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I kind of wish I played more. Like I, I have I started playing Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm on the switch when it came out and then just kind of, kind of stopped playing because I started doing something else. And I'm always like, Oh, I wish I finished it. But sometimes you just have to accept that you, there's not enough hours in the day to do everything. The joys of being an adult, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. I think I'm still, I'm still technically a student. God, it's only going to get worse for me. But sex criminals, volume five, five finger discount, of course, written uh, by Matt fraction and drawn by Chip Zdarsky. We're getting closer to the modern day. This one published by Image on the 22nd of August 2018 and collects issues 21 to 25. So if you remember at the end of of volume four, things had gone pretty wrong for our main heroes. Their life had basically fallen apart and John and Susie, the two main sex criminals, had had gone their, their separate ways. So we pick up volume five with John and he is now working at Come World. Remember, that's Come World, the, the pawn shop, and not Come World, the sort of nebulous time-stopping place that they go upon uh, orgasming. Um, so he's he works there now. I think he's like a manager. And he is also living with a new partner and has grown a beard. And uh, according to John, everything is just fine. It's not bad. It's not good. It's, it's just fine. So we leave John and then move on. This first issue is very much like a check-in with all, all the main players. So Douglas D. Douglas, that was the guy that uh, had the power to produce Kamiko the Come Angel, you may remember. Uh, he's now going by the name Dewey and he's working undercover at Bank Corp. Uh, Bank Corp being the big corporation that John used to work at and is owned by uh, Kuba Badal, like the, the, the ninja one of, of the sex criminals. And Dewey is undercover there because they want to figure out what Myrtle Spurge, Cuba Budar, and Bud, the bus driver, who are the like the main three sex police, they want to figure out what they are up to. This was suggested at the end of Volume 4, that uh, both John and Alex, another one of our main players, uh, that they decided to take the fight back to them after their lives fell apart. But back to John, and John and his new partner, they're invited to a fancy dress-up party on Halloween night. And there's a bit of an issue with miscommunication here because the the term fancy dress-up is used by John's new partner. So he presumes that means fancy dress, when really she means black tie. Now, to be fair to him, no one I've ever met has ever called a black tie, like, fancy clothes event fancy dress-up. I'm pretty sure if someone told me it was fancy dress-up, I too would think about a costume. However, to be fair to her, I might have asked at some point, what's your costume going to be? And then when she would say, oh, what? I'm just wearing a nice ball gown. Like, oh, I misunderstand. (laughs) But things have to happen. And Fortunately for John, someone else at the party has also made this mistake and they are both wearing an identical Freddie Mercury costume. The bad news is this person just happens to be Susie. And so now we focus in on her and she has also moved on since breaking up with John. Uh, She's running a library just like like she wanted and is seeing a new man, Jeff. Her life is also just fine. Jeff is a bit of a 
a know-it-all. He, you know, harps, you know, they go to galleries a lot to look at art and he's like, oh, this artist did this and that. And there's a whole, there's a big panel where there's this massive uh, speech bubble that is so big it doesn't fit onto the panel. So that is a sort of uh, information you can get from Jeff is a talker. And importantly, also not that good in bed, is that's important to Susie. Susie has also moved back home, so she's living with her mother. And you may remember at the beginning, her mother was uh, in the throes of alcoholism, but she's quit drinking now and is now sort of moved on in the 12-step program to uh, now be part of this sort of sexual awakening group. It's her and her bunch of, like, old lady friends, and they're all big on exploring their their sexual desires now that they, they've reached the mature age. Uh, but this home isn't quite home, however, so over the course of whatever period it's been, her mother has moved house, but has moved house to a house that was almost exactly the same as the house that she moved from. Uh, the reason given is, oh, she wanted to move away. Remember, Susie's father died right at the beginning. She wanted to move away, get a fresh start. However, she took all of her stuff and basically reconstructed their old house right down to her dead father's office in this new house that is structurally almost the same. A difference being that the office is on the opposite side of one floor than it than it was before. But other than that, decorating-wise, it is identical. And so Susie, she has all of these memories of this house, but really they aren't this house. She says, it's like deja vu, but of a place that I've never never been and can't possibly therefore have, have memories of it. But she eventually makes her way to this reconstruction of her dad's office and boots up the ancient computer found there. We're talking a computer like the big white ones, white keyboard, big white tower, massive CRT white screen that makes uh, like a whole bunch of chugging noises when you, when you turn it on. And it turns out that on this computer is some sort of AI embodiment of her father that she is able to communicate with by by typing uh, messages into into the program. Uh, John, Alex and Dewey, they meet up again in yet another diner and it turns out that Dewey has screwed up. So he was undercover at Bank Corp and he was speaking to a plumber there and uh, in this plumber, who's quite a chatty man, just happened to inform him that Kuba Badal has this secret room that has large amount of electricity being supplied to it. So of course, Dewey being undercover, he, he wants to find out what is in this room and so he goes into Kuba Badal's office and then just gets caught. Uh, so they no longer have an undercover agent at Bank Corp. Uh, speaking of Kuba Badal, the sex police are, are having a meeting and things are sort of falling apart on their front as well. Kuba, even though it seemed that Myrtle Spurge was perhaps the head of, of this trio, it turns out it's very much him. They're his pawns. He's the bankroller of their operation and thus they do what he says because he's the one paying. Uh, so he wants more dirt on John, but Myrtle and also slightly Bud, you know, they don't want to do this anymore. You know, they know that the, 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 the sex criminals, they've gone their separate ways anymore. I mean, what what's the point? But uh, Cuba, he's, he's very insistent. And thus, when Myrtle says that she she wants out, uh, Cuba, he turns a, a laptop around to, see, to show a picture of both her and Dave, that's John's therapist that she was having an affair with, and she's like, if you don't do this to me, I will send this to all members of your family. Like, And so that's your life ruined. Um, 
So, speaking of Dave, he's still seeing Dr. Anakin Cade, Jasmine St. Cocaine, the porn star, another member of the sex criminal. Remember, she can turn into a, like a, a sex ghost. Uh, and things aren't going too well for them either. Things started off fine, you know, they were having in the throes of a new romance, so to speak. But Dave has come to realise that even though he knows Myrtle was using him to get information on John and that she was also married and that's bad, he's in love with her. And despite trying to move on in this new relationship he needs to be honest with himself and with uh, uh, Dr Kincaid and things sort of end for them but they remain friends and can be amicable about it so life continues for them all Alex and John they they want to test what it is that activates her powers you may remember that Alex is the one who is asexual and thus orgasming is not doing it for her when it comes to activating her sort of force bending powers um, so she runs in front of a bus and uh, luckily that running in front of her bus does indeed activate her powers. So they say oh, it must be adrenaline-based at the very least. Uh, it, but this bus driver just happens to be, even though there's a good few panels where they're like, nah, it can't be Bud. What are the chances? There are hundreds of buses in, in wherever, they, wherever it is they live. What are the chances that this one bus is going to be driven by Bud, the uh, bus driver member of the Six Feet? Well, it turns out it was. Uh, but... He is now in a park freaking out because he saw a person run in front of a bus. He heard the sound, but then when he stopped the bus, nobody was there. That's because, of course, time had stopped and Alex and John had gone off. Um, but whilst he's in, in the park, he uh, he meets Dewey and they start having a chat. He turns out Bud, even though he's a member of the sex release, is actually a pretty nice guy. And Dewey's talking about how before he was sort of ashamed of himself, a bit of a coward. And then he, once he started going undercover, pretending to be someone else, he realised the person he was pretending to be is also him, and that he could just be this better person of himself. And so yeah, they start getting to know one another, and they end this conversation uh, with, with, with a kiss. So that's them. They're now, you can see the sex police and the sex criminals are starting to, to come together. So Susie has uh, been continuing with, with using her father's computer and has made a startling discovery, and it's a discovery that her father had made before her that most likely resulted in uh, him being thrown out of a window, and that's that someone had been manipulating the stocks, and this someone is, of course, Kuba Badal, and it turns out that it was seemingly he was moving his stocks around as if he had some sort of insider trading knowledge, but it was even more inside than just having insider trading knowledge and so it's as if he could see the future somehow i wonder if that might be relevant in the future but before she can gather more information on this the power goes off and there's a fire in 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 her and her mother's house and this is due to some poor wiring of a, a new sex machine that her mother had bought and that had unfortunately caught a blaze and now set the whole whole house on fire and so they can finally move on, both her and her mother, because all of the belongings that they had t that she had taken from the old house and rebuilt in this new house are now completely destroyed. So they have to start again. And now things are finally falling into place for the finale. So the mother and Susie, they, they are now sort of living in a motel and, and she can re-enter the quiet after leaving John and starting up this new uh, new relationship with, uh, with with Jeff. She, you know, she'd lost her mojo a bit, but now, you know, she's, her life is basically hit the reset button. And so she too can, can is able to return to, to the quiet. She breaks up with Jeff. John breaks up with, uh, with his partner. 
uh, Anna and Dave, as I said, they, they break up, and, but they are adult enough to, to remain friends. Uh, Myrtle and Bud, they, they sort of, they join the team too. They, much to John's upset, this all happens in, in a roller rink, but now our sex criminals, they have a vehicle, John's bus. Uh, not John, Bud's bus. Uh, and then they all make their way in this bus to the motel in which Susie is staying. They use the uh, the compass to, to track her down, knowing that Susie has got her mojo back. And thus, uh, the team of seven get back together. John and Susie, they get back together, and they're ready to take the fight to Kuba Badal, who we now... He's the big bad now. Not ju It's not the sex police anymore. It's just him. And that's where Volume 6 begins. Volume 6, Six Criminals. Which, to be honest, I don't quite understand. I originally, when typing my notes, I just instinctively put the team of six, but there's seven of them. So, I think it's a bit, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but Susie dies in, in this in this volume, so perhaps there are six left, but anyway, that's beside the point. This was published on the 25th of November 2020 and collects issues 26 to 69. Now, I want to say this, this this volume is not utterly enormous, containing 43 issues. It contains five issues, the last being sex criminals. Of course, the last issue has to be numbered 69. It just wouldn't be right if, if it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So the team are back at yet another diner, and they're discussing how hard it is that it's going to be to take down Kuba Badal. He, he's got his tendrils everywhere. He's a rich man and he's a powerful man. And uh, so what could messing with him mean for all of them? And so they agree that perhaps it isn't the bad idea, uh, isn't a great idea. And so they, they should wait on it a while, just in case. Now that the sex police have pretty much disbanded, perhaps they're done with, with them too. Uh, so, but Susie, she keeps having these visions of him, but they're not just sort of like strange, just the odd vision. They're sort of visions of memories but they're memories that she hasn't had because she has not met Kuba Badal uh, outside of his role in, in, in the mm -hmm. sex police. So she can't have these, these memories, these, these, these particular visions. Uh, but we also get suggestions that the conversation he's having with John about these visions isn't quite happening in order that we, the, the reader, are seeing it. At one point, she's on the phone and John looks like he's wearing maybe a shirt. I don't think we only see the top of his head, but then... A page or so later, they're both in bed together, and it's when reading it, it's as if this conversation has all happened in in one go. But it can't have, uh, because at one point she says, "I miss you," but if he's right there, how 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 can she how can she miss him? Uh, but we 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 park that for a while, and uh, we then check in with back with Anna Kincaid, and she's trying to figure out how the compass actually works. What it what is this magic glowing device that allows them to be tracked. So she takes it apart and finds a chip inside and she takes this chip to a man that knows about computer science and he says, well, it's a bit like a solar cell on a pocket calculator. It's absorbing all this energy and this energy is the energy that our sex criminals and others like them produce when they enter the quiet. And so she goes to see Myrtle Spurge about this. She was a member of the sex police. She must know what's going on. And this triggers a memory for her, recalling a time where Kubadar was like, oh, I need to go and charge my battery. And that's a relatively normal phrase about like napping or whatever. But now perhaps in this sense, it's a lot more literal. Perhaps a literal battery is being charged. Back with John and Susie, 
it turns out that John, these conversation was not happening in order and that at some point in the future for us as a reader, John has been, he's in prison. That's why he, he wasn't wearing a shirt. He was wearing a jumpsuit and he is in, he is in prison for something. We don't know, but uh, that's something for us to look forward to, I am sure. Uh, so Susie has also, she's been going to see doctors about these visions that she's been having. Perhaps it isn't anything to do with sex police thing. It just happens to be Kuba Badal because they've been thinking about Kuba Badal a lot. So she goes to the doctors and they just say, oh, it's, it's due to stress. Uh, so she doesn't take that and goes to see the only man that could possibly know, Kuba Badal himself. And so they, they make their way to the Bank Corp HQ. They the same tower in which her dad was thrown out of and on that floor where that window is this secret room is and uh, this massive electrical supply is feeding into a machine named Antonio uh, and this machine stores all of the sexual energy that the sex criminals produce and Badal he wants to use all of this energy to be able to travel into the past combining his powers with Susie's powers. So then, yes, it, Susie was right. Badal's special sex power is his ability to see the future. When he uh, climaxes, he it's not like a vision. It's sort of a bit like a a time ghost. He appears at a moment in the future, and that, that's what allowed him to get rich. He just happened to appear at a time when the news was on, and it was talking about stocks and shares. And when he returned to the present, he could made he made some notes, and thus invested where he needed to invest and lo and behold those uh, socks and shares paid off very well for him but it's also real that the more he does this the more he ages so whilst Kuba Badal has looked pretty young throughout the throughout the, the entire run he's actually been dyeing his hair and has had like skin treatments and such to help him to try and not give it away that he's aging a lot quicker than anyone else. So the machine is called Antonio, and that's because Antonio was the name of the partner he had at the time in which he first managed to enter the quiet. But unfortunately for Antonio, it wasn't the orgasm that allowed him to do so. It was the cruelty at which this orgasm was delivered. So back when they were younger, Badal was part of this, I guess, club, an elite club uh, at, at whatever university they went to. Uh, but he was only a freshman. And when Antonio arrives, like, oh, how do I get into this club? You know, what do I have to do? Uh, but I was like, well, or who do you have to do, perhaps? And so then the next panel is them, uh, is Antonio uh, orally pleasuring Vidal. And then Vidal is like, actually, I'm just a freshman. I can't help get you mm -hmm. in. Uh, and that is what helped him get into the quiet the first time and so the more cruel Badal was right. and it turns out the more the longer the gap between uh entering the quiet the greater the further ahead in time he could uh go but this first time that he entered the quiet he saw Susie appear before him as some sort of ghostly entity and uh, Susie told him that he could control time and that she was god uh, and so Badal wants to keep entering the quiet, keep performing these awful acts to other people in order to see Susie again and get more information. And so the worst thing that we see him do is that he proposes to Antonio. They then get married. He then forces 
abstinence and chastity on them both, and then when they eventually come to having sex again for the first time in what is presumably quite a while, he then says he wants a divorce. And that projects him to the future a considerable large amount and uh, things sort of mm-hmm. go from there. So he straps himself into Antonio and he's going on about, oh, you and I together, we can, we'll be able to go back in time and we'll be able to change things to make us you know, even more powerful than we are now because I'm me and, and you're God. Uh, but Susie's like, I am not God. I'm just a mm-hmm. person. Uh, but she's noticing that the visions that she's been having, they're getting closer to what this moment is now. She's been having premonitions of of the future. And so Badal, he straps himself in, uh, he switches Antonio on, and we finally get to see what that full quote actually was. It was Susie yelling, you may think you can control time and that I'm God, but you're wrong. And it was that you're wrong, that he clearly missed, because then everything explodes. Uh, the whole top floor of this Badal Court building is uh, completely destroyed. Uh, and so everyone presumes that both Prasuzi and uh, Badal, they died in the blast. I think six months or so passes. Uh, the cause, it remains unknown, but obviously to us, the reader, we know that it was this sex-based explosion. Uh, and then one by one, our sort of main posse, they realise that the quiet is gone. Both Dewey and then Myrtle, who I presume uh, enters the quiet and then walks outside of her house, thinking time has stopped, only to be uh, greeted by the postman, uh, who is like, oh, hello, you are uh, completely naked, collecting your newspaper and post from me. And so, oh, well, the quiet is gone. Uh, so that's, I guess, bad news news for them all. Uh, but it, John has been missing during this period, and what's he been up to? Well, unsurprisingly, Susie's death hit him pretty hard. Uh, we know that he's been quite emotionally unstable throughout the entire six-volume run. Uh, and so he made his way to Badal's house and decided to destroy Badal's life uh, room by room, item by item. And so nothing is spared. At one point, he straps all of Badal's watches to his shoe and then just stamps on the floor. So all of his watches are destroyed. He breaks every single like individual surface light just with a big stick. He, he writes in every single book because he knows that if Susie were alive, he doesn't want she wouldn't want the books to be destroyed. But he doesn't want Badal to have pristine books, so he just writes all over the book. So that's useless. But of course, this is happening for quite a while, and he eventually uh, gets arrested. And so now we know why John was in prison before. But if Susie is dead, how can she be talking to him on the phone? Well, a period of time, so Susie did not die. She became the quiet. That's what the explosion caused. She was pushed outside of reality and outside of time itself. As you can see, all of these memories, like a big shape, nebulous shape, and all these other memories of other people linked to it. And so she can travel forwards and backwards in time, much like Badal wanted. But she realizes that she can't, she can just watch. You know, she watches these memories, whether they're memories of the future or memories of the past, but she can't change them. Uh, And when, going back to earlier, when she was in her father's office, she was thinking about, oh, it's been so long now, I can't really remember what my dad's face is. And so she goes back in time to see that same point, and she still can't remember what her dad's face is. So we get this, you know, image of the back of his head, which is what she says she can remember the most. And that's what she can see here but she's lost in this timeless 
zone until she starts to see a bright light happening at one particular moment. And it, this bright light is John's love for her. And that allows her to be sort of pulled out of this non-reality, I suppose, and back into, into the world. And John sees this vision of, of uh, Susie while he's in prison, tells him, John, I'm coming. And then she reappears back at the top of the uh, skyscraper. So it's a good thing that uh, the whole building was not demolished, perhaps, if she reappeared where where she disappeared. Otherwise, uh, sex crimes would have ended a few issues uh, earlier with a very different different ending. Uh, and so John and Susie, they get back together. It's presumed that Badal, because no one particularly loved him, he remains lost in, in time, out of reality. And it seems that our hero, uh, you know, the, the final page of that is a full page of just John and Susie in bed together. And like, oh, great. What a happy ending. But then there's one issue left. Uh, and so a considerable amount of time has passed. Uh, Bud and Dewey, they're now getting married on a tropical island. And they have uh, they've made it big as a pair of uh, celebrity comedians. And all of our characters that we've seen throughout the six volumes are invited. So we briefly see Rachel and Robert. So that was Rachel being Susie's best friend and Robert being her gynecologist. Uh, they eventually got together. So they're married and they have kids. Uh, Alex and Anna, they're now together as the same for Dave and Myrtle. But Susie and John, not so much. After everything that happened and everything they, they went through, they started to, to drift apart. You know, normal life, as we saw back in volumes two and four didn't really suit them as a couple they needed the extreme excitement of being uh, sex criminals so Susie went back to school to get her PhD and John started an arts program for for those who are incarcerated but their relationship didn't didn't suit that career path for both of them so Susie she met someone else a guy named Guy he's a, a stable sensible man who you know, whilst being just fine in bed, as she remarks, is that's exactly what Susie needs at this point in her life. She doesn't need the, the excitement and unstableness that, that John provided. And so the final issue ends with the two main protagonists, John and Susie, they're on a beach together and they're watching the sun rise over the ocean, you know, saying, oh, that's something we've, we've never done before. Uh, and it's quite melancholy, I suppose, because they're ever so slightly holding hands they've got, they've got their their, their uh, little fingers that's touching but we know that they aren't together but there is hope i suppose they're watching this sunrise perhaps once uh things have once she's finished her phd and once uh his arts program is fully off the ground perhaps they do find their way back together but for what we know no they don't and it was quite oh I was wrong. I just, pre I mean, I was right in the fact, yes, I thought they would get back together and they did, but I was not that last issue. I'm not the most mm -hmm. emotional of, of folk. But I was like, oh, oh no. Whilst I'm happy to see all these people, I can't believe it. I can't believe they're not together after everything that happened. But I will say, as, as I've now finished Sex Criminals, it's probably worth summing up a bit. Sex Criminals is a fantastic from start to finish. Whilst, yes, I said oh, Volume 4 was my least favourite, you know, one of them has to be the worst, and that was the worst, but it was no way bad, and I would recommend Sex Criminals to anyone, possibly maybe of a sensible age. Uh, <laughs> this isn't a book for, for children. <laughs> uh, the, the writing is great. 
the comedy is great, right. both visual and text-based, which can be quite tough in the written word. I mean, I think, in my own opinion, comedy works best audio-visually. Uh, and yeah, Chip Zdarsky's art is amazing. The way they play around with comic book conventions is great. A real 10 out of 10 collection is, is, mm-hmm. is Sex Criminals. Go out and buy it, anyone who hasn't read it. Good to know. Well, you should. I haven't finished <laughs> reading it. I will. I, I think uh, I, I'm excited to experience And you are of age, so on my I, I, I deem it acceptable for you. <laughs> <laughs> check. I hit all the check boxes. Oh, so there you go. That was PhD Student Reads episode 21. Uh, maybe this was the eternal focused uh, podcast. So you can look forward. It's coming up. Uh, more more MCU coming up in the coming months. It's getting closer to Christmas. Boy, what a, what a time. And then it'll be 2022 and things will be mm-hmm. back to normal. No, no, no such thing as COVID anymore. And life can, can, can return to normality. So you can follow the show on, on Twitter, at PhD Reads, as I said earlier. Uh, you can like, share it, subscribe, tell your friends, whatnot. You can follow at Layered Butter on Twitter, at Layered underscore Butter, but Layered Butter without the underscore on Instagram, if that is your social media thing yes. of choice. Uh, talk about it now, because I think we briefly mentioned at the end of last month, that James Bond bit of art came, and boy, is it lovely. So there you go. That's your reason. If you have no other reason to just subscribe to to Layered Butter, looking at nice art made by seemingly lovely people uh, is, is, a, is a reason. And and the Layered Butter podcast is coming back well, this week. There you week, go. So what, 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 what is this first is. episode on? Can you tell me? I think just catching up, catching up with friends. Is the well, that's thing. good enough for me, especially in a, in a time where seeing other people can be somewhat more difficult than it than it than it used to be <laughs> absolutely that, uh, that uh, james bond art on my hallway it's the first thing you see when you come in and so one day when people do return to my flat they'll be like oh that's a good piece of art and then they'll say where can you get it and i'll it say is. nowhere <laughs> sold out <laughs> you can come and you can come again and and look at it some more if if you wish uh, yeah, Pitch Didn't Read episode 21. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Rodrigo, for joining me yet once again. Uh, goodbye. Thanks for having me.